Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Hello and welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin LaCrosse, and today I have a very special guest with me. We are going to be talking about teen dating violence and domestic abuse. Lana Wolf is a life coach helping others overcome fear and inner resistance. After spending 20 years in accounting, she embarked on a new career as an author, speaker, and life coach. Following her near-fatal experience, as told in her book, Like a Moth to a Flame, A Fatal Attraction, her mantra is to fill your bucket before you kick the bucket. She is actively pursuing her passion to help women overcome fear, find inner peace, and fill their bucket by living the life of their dreams. In pursuit of her own dreams, Lana has hiked over 16 14ers in Colorado, rafted through the Grand Canyon, and traveled the U.S. as she checks things off her bucket list. Hi, Lana. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Robin. Great to be here. Thanks. I know um, from speaking with you that you have a history of domestic abuse. And my own work, you know, I, I am aware that teen dating violence is a huge problem. And I kind of feel like that, you know, teen dating violence could be a stepping stone to domestic abuse. And, you know, mo- most of my listeners tend to be parents. And so I want to kind of have this conversation about, like, how this happened, you know, what kind of flags were missed um, and just kind of give parents like the the bird's eye view of like how this stuff can happen and ways that they might be able to protect their children. And so, Lana, can you tell us a little bit about like how you found yourself in this relationship and, you know, like were there warning signs in the beginning? How did all this happen? There were warning signs, but I was like, oh, enough love and I can fix anything. Uh, I think he had mental illness. And again, I was busy in my own life. So I didn't see a lot of the signs. It was like when we were together, the first year was pretty normal, pretty good. There was a few little episodes. And um, I think the biggest things that I didn't realize was going to escalate was he was like bipolar. That was one of his issues. And he had depression areas where he actually had suicide attempts and I would take him to the hospital and then it was got to be the the neediness oh you don't love me and and so it's like he guilted me into like staying with him and being with him because oh if I didn't stay with him he'd have another suicide attempt and I think that's the key for a lot of like teenagers I mean in the dating it's like the, the guilting of prove that you love me and do this because if you don't, you don't love me enough. And you're so insecure in, I don't think I was insecure in my relationship as just I needed, I felt that I needed to help people. And that was mm-hmm. kind of where I was at in my time in life. I had just gotten out of another relationship and moved to a new city with a new job. And so I was there trying to, again, 
give him support, give him what he needed. And, you know, we fell in love. Like I said, the first year was really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of women, you know, find ourselves in that role of wanting to help or please, you know, and, and, you know, being of service kind of thing. And it comes from, you know, really genuine place. And um, so you said that the first year with him was really good. And so, so I find it interesting. It's like, you know, you've invested all this time and energy into your relationship and then little things start happening. Like he's making you, you know, prove that you love him and this sort of thing. Are there other warning signs that, that were early on that you might've missed? Um, you know, he would, the constant, oh, I want to be with you. I, I need to be with you. It's like if I went to be on the, the baseball team, he had to be there. And there were other things that it's just, he kept getting more and more, I guess, clingy in a way. Mm -hmm. Needing to, you know, saying that he needed to be with me. Um, you know, I like my aloneness. I'm fine hiking by myself and doing mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. and he would get upset if I would do anything by myself. But yet when I offered, it's like, let's go for a hike. He would, oh, after the show or after this or after that. And so if I would leave, he would get upset. And then, it, you know, it was kind of like walking on the eggshells of how much do I give time to him versus how much do I take my time for myself. And if he's not going to join me, and it got to be where I pulled back more and more and more because he kept saying that, oh, you don't love me or I need you more, I need you more, I need you more. And that was, I think, the thing was I started pulling back rather than keeping my boundaries and continuing with the lifestyle that I, that, you know, that was good for me. Right. So you started modifying your behavior so that he wouldn't get upset with you when you went to go for a hike, you know, when you went to go enjoy nature by yourself. So he felt maybe threatened that you were out having a life of your own. <laughs> yeah, well, and then again, as time progressed, then it was the accusations of, well, you're seeing somebody else. Mm. It's like, no, I'm not, but you're welcome to come with me. And again, it was the, and I, again, I don't know how much of it was his mental illness or not, or you know, as looking back, it's like, well, you know, those are signs of abuse. But at the time I was thinking, oh, that's just his mental illness. And, oh, he needs to go back and get on his drugs, this or that. But he was also, which I missed a lot, was the self-medicating. He started getting more and more into drinking more and the drugs more. And so, again, he was doing that. And I was, again, trying to keep my own life. And so I was kind of oblivious to how bad it was getting with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did the three of you live together or were you like in separate quarters yeah, we, at this point? Or? We did live together and we were, I mean, I do house flipping too. And so we were working on projects and um, he was, he was helping he mm -hmm. was doing things. And then, like I said, I think he just started getting into the wrong crowd. Oh, so-and-so can help me. And so-and-so ended up being a drug dealer or something. Right, right. Yeah. So it's kind of like this uh, progression over time where things just kind of were like declining and sliding as he was maybe slipping into more of addiction and, you know, on top of his mental health issues. So it was just like this compounding problem that was, it was maybe. It was a spiral. Yeah. Yeah, spiraling. Time, I actually, he actually went back to, he had lived in another state. He actually went back home for a while. 
and it wasn't anybody there for him. He ended up in jail there. And so when he got out of jail, he's like, come back to me. And I was like, no, this isn't going to work. And I had tried to set my limits and that was the, oh, it's really cold. So I'll give you a place to sleep for a couple of days. So you find some place on your own. And that was, that was the, the night, the fatal night, really, nearly fatal night, actually. Oh, wow. So he had been gone for a while and then you let him back into your house because yeah. you felt bad that it was cold outside and he had no place to go. And then, yeah. and then he attacked. Basically. Yeah. He was knocking on the door at night. It's like, it's cold. It's cold. And it's like, okay, just a couple nights. And yeah, all the promises. Yeah. Yeah. So out of the kindness of your heart, you open the door because I mean, I'm sure you still care about this person, even though, you know, there's been, a, you know, a, tumultuous is that the right word history between the two of you it was it was definitely getting worse yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. definitely it's like okay this is you need to take care of yourself and he was not taking his meds he was not getting the treatment that he needed and at the time i didn't see you know because i'd never been exposed to that kind of mental illness so at the time i didn't see how bad it was i didn't see a lot of the signs Mm-hmm. And what were some of the signs that, you know, that now that you're looking back that you could have maybe noticed? Um, when he would go into his depressions and some of the other things, you know, we tried to get him, well, he did get hospitalized several times. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't notice how bad his drug use was and things because, again, I was doing my other stuff. But I would have um, insisted, you know, again, keeping my boundaries, insisted that it's like, you need to take care of yourself, stay in a treatment center for a longer period of time before I allowed him back in. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in treatment for a couple of weeks and he walked out and, and then I get the call of, of, I'm on this bridge and I'm going to jump into the black vortex and <laughs> then his phone died and I found him like three days later in a hospital because he had totally like collapsed physically mm-hmm. so again it's like do you take care of him or do you set the boundaries of you need to take care of yourself yeah and that's a hard place to be in because you feel like you know if you if you care for somebody you know and when you're in a relationship generally you do care about the person even if they've been abusive or they you know they're having mental problems and and then finding yourself in a situation where like he has nothing unless you jump in to save him. And so there's that savior complex again. It is the savior complex. And I think now it's like I would, there are resources, which I wasn't aware of at the time, there are resources that are better able to take care of him, better able to cope with that kind of behavior. And unfortunately, you know, in the U.S., um, mental health is not a big issue. And the pe- person has a right to choose. So mm-hmm. if he gets in for treatment three days and he chooses to leave, that's his right and they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm, right. So it's not like back in the days where we used to hear about people getting committed against their will. There's not so much of that happening anymore. Right. And, you know, and so again, somebody dating, it's like, you know, at that age, teenagers, the drinking, it's like, is that going to progress? And even the mental illness, the bipolar, it's like, you can't see the signs as a teenager. Um, and the child abuse, you know, his childhood, he was abused. And so, again, you feel that, sorry, oh, let me help you, let me help you. And mm-hmm. as a woman, it's like society has kind of ingrained. It's like, yeah, let, let us take care of you. You know, the mother instinct. I do have mm-hmm. two older sons. They're out of the house. And that was 
maybe part of it is like they had left the house. I was an empty nester. I had, you know, room to spare to care for somebody. And Mm -hmm. it was, again, a situation where I was not prepared for that. And being the mother is not being a relationship. And I was, you know, again, is it a relationship or am I just being the mother? Right. Yeah. So it sounds like the roles were being confused. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that are happening that aren't uh, healthy for in a relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and you're talking about um, like the resources that are available. Um, you didn't know about them. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who are find themselves in these kinds of situations um, aren't, knowing about the resources that are available either. So what kind of resources could you have reached out for or directed him towards to keep him out of your house and then you from trying to save him? Well, the the county had a health center hotline number, which again, I wasn't aware of, but there's also NAMI, the National Association of Health uh, Mental Illness. They don't call it mental health. Yeah, National Association of Mental Illness. So, so NAMI. And after... The last episode, I took the the um, friends and family. Uh, that's a six week or an eight week course to again give you give me the education of well, what else is out there? What what medications work best for which situations? And they also have a whole list of resources um, by location. So, and I know that, that um, they're in most states now. And then even after, like, the first incident where, again, was it abuse to me or was it his mental illness and his suicide attempt stuff, um, it's still a way of controlling, right? Mm-hmm. His playing the, the victim and getting me wrapped in around it is a way of his controlling. And I didn't see it as abuse and controlling at the time. But mm-hmm. um, I think another resource for me was um, – ARMS, which is Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. Mm-hmm. And if I had known some of those resources, again, about setting my own boundaries and seeing some of the behaviors as abuse, um, I think the relationship would have gone a different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have gotten out of or been able to direct him towards the resources that he needs so that you would, wouldn't have been in the line of fire and in danger? It's hard to say in 2020. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. But I think that, yeah, I, I do think, especially that night, I, I think there was enough warning signs. Um, again, I say the personalities. He had like a childlike personality and he had a the normal most of the time personality and then this dark personality. And his actual eyes would change and his face would change and his voice would change. And again, in hindsight, I saw that flash like a couple days prior to the incident and I ignored it. Right. Mm -hmm. And my dog even knew, like my dog would try to get between us. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your dog was totally picking up on his energy too. Yeah. When he was in that, that altered state, my dog would just come from across the room and try to get between us. Wow. So it's again, the ignoring all the signs, Right. And did you ever see like that flash or that personality like in the first year that the two of you were together? I think I did. But I, again, I, I brush it off. It's like, oh yeah, that's just, somebody having a bad day or his mental health. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even the kid 
personality. It's like, oh, he's in a good mood. Let's go to the park or let's do something. Right, right. Yeah. And those are the days he would join me for a hike. And so it's like, that was a good sign. Right. Yeah. So, oh, we're having a good day today. <laughs> Life is good. We're having a good relationship. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we can come back. We're going to talk about this some more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little bit about Seize the Moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. Seize the moment, it's your life, will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, Seize the Moment, It's Your Life is for you. You can just go to holisticsexedradio.com, sign up today for Seize the Moment, It's Your Life, it will change your life. Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at holisticsexedradio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So Lana, I'd like to talk a little bit about like the, the victim mentality and those controlling behaviors. Because it sounds like, like those were a really key thing like early on in the relationship and also were progressing because, you know, in the beginning you were saying, you know, there was that, that feeling of guilt and prove you love me. And then, you know, like that joined at the hip, I need to be with you all the time. And then how that kind of spiraled into like the paranoia, you're cheating on me, you're seeing somebody else, you know, these types of behavior. And so I'd like to have you just talk more about like those controlling behaviors and that, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, like being the victim and that sort of thing. So can you talk more about that stuff? Um, I think it first came out, you know, we'd been together for a little bit and 
Then he started talking about his childhood and how bad he'd had it. And his father abused him. His parents were alcoholics. And it's like, you know, you're playing on the violin strings of, you know, oh, that's, that's so bad. And, and then, he, you know, it's like, well, that's why I am what I am. And then he actually warned me. He actually said that there are times that, um, that I get upset and I can't control it because of my past. And I was like, okay. And he goes, but as long as I'm on my medications, I'll be fine. And then we, we went on a, you know, a three or four week uh, period of trying to get him on his medications. And it was, um, he was also in a new town and had to get a new doctor and had to get new this and new that. And um, so it took a while. And mm -hmm. so then once he got into treatment, he, um, he was fine for a while. But again, then he started hanging out with these friends and I had to take a trip and I was gone. And his friends convinced him that I was not gone and they had seen me. They didn't even know me at the time. I didn't even know them. So right. uh, they had convinced him that I was out with somebody else. And I came back and it's like, you know, here's the plane ticket and here's that. And he was like, for a while, none of that would convince him because his friends had made him believe that he, that um, I was was gone so we got over that little patch so that was the first sign it's like well you know if he doesn't trust me when yeah. obviously gone that um and i should have taken that as, as a big red flag but it's like no you know it's his friends don't know me and you know we got to know each other and then it was fine again for another so it was the little things mm -hmm. um building up and so when he did have little episodes like when i try to set the boundaries he would go into this, um, he would play the victim role. And so it's like, for a while, it didn't bother me. If I had the time, I would spend time with him. But then it got to be where my work was getting, it was busy season. And so my work was getting to be, you know, longer hours. And he would start accusing me. So he'd come to the work. And again, it's like, I was so focused on getting my, keeping my job at the time. Sure, <laughs> right. Yeah, you said you're an accountant, so you're probably in the middle of tax season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, and the less time I spent with him, the more he cycled into this um, paranoia phase. And so that's, that's actually where it started was I was not able to monitor and spend as much time with him. And then he got into more and more drugs, I think, and more and more people that were bad influences so um yeah playing the victim role it did it pulled on my heartstrings of guilting me because i wasn't spending as much time so i had that extra layer of guilt on top of it mm -hmm. right because when somebody says that and you know that you're spending all these hours at work there's like a ring of truth to it and so it's easy to kind of push that guilt button because it's like oh yeah i know i'm working a lot yeah yep but uh-huh yeah. You know, abuse doesn't always have to be physical. I mean, my situation, it was, you know, almost deadly physical. But there's also, like, the emotional abuse. Again, his playing the victim role was a form of emotional abuse. And there's financial abuse. And there's sexual abuse. And there's spiritual abuse of, like, putting down your religion or not letting you go to church or different ways of, again... Any behavior that controls is a form of abuse. And I think the biggest one that over people overlook is just the emotional abuse. The constant, you know, 
your boyfriend tells you, I'm not, you're, you're ugly or you're fat or nobody else would love you. That is a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, the self-love really is important to know you don't have to put up with that stuff. That's right. Yep. We can draw the line and not, not put up with it. So what would you say to women who are sitting here listening to you talk and think and thinking to themselves, Oh shit, my partner does some of this stuff. (laughs) You know, um, the other things that I, other resources were, um, you know, there's Al Al Anon, which are the friends and family of alcoholics. And that I went to that a few times. Um, but just seeing the signs and learning to set your boundaries of, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you're going to drink, I don't need to spend time with you. But the thing was, he wasn't a violent drunk. Mm-hmm. No, he was a laid back general drunk. It's like, okay, so a beer or two. But the beer or two got to be like more, and then it got to be the drugs. And that's where, you know, as long as it was just a beer or two, oh, that's fine. And I should have been more, you know, should have set the boundaries a little bit more. It's like, that's, that's it. And again, as soon as I saw the drugs, rather than, Oh, try to get treatment, try to do this, set the boundaries. Like, no, we, no more drugs, no drugs in the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know it can be really challenging to set boundaries like that because you're dealing with an adult, you know, and, and in general, we kind of feel like, you know, adults, we shouldn't be telling other adults what to do. And, and here you are in a situation where your partner, you know, has some mental health issues and they're engaging in unhealthy behaviors. Um, you know, and, and then it becomes up to you, like, where do you draw the line? You know, what is acceptable? What are you willing to put up with? Um, that sort of thing. So how do you juggle that? Yeah, I mean, I think, and then we, we had talked about it, I th- you know, would joint counseling have helped? Um, looking back, it probably wouldn't have, because he was still engaging in the behaviors. Um, but we did talk about it. It's like, you know, was a relationship bad because of my behaviors working too much or his behaviors, the drugs too much. And, you know, at that point, I probably just should not have been in a relationship because um, I was, again, focused on other things. But then when you have that layer of guilt of, oh, but you promised. Oh, but, but, you know, we've been, you know, you promised this or this or this. And, um, but you can't keep all those promises mm-hmm. when there's behavior that is so out of line, you need to, to step back. And this is where I, I didn't It's like, Oh yeah, I did promise. Oh, he's in the hospital again. And I did promise to help him. And you need to step back. I was like, yeah, but how is that healthy for you? Right. Just because you made a promise of, Oh, I'll stay with you because you're sick or that. It's like, if it's not healthy for you, you don't need to keep those promises. Yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, like, where's the line between helping someone and enabling them? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, is, there, there was probably a lot of that. And, and again, whether it was intentional or just the allowing it to happen and not knowing how bad it was happening, it was still enabling him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think because you were so busy with like your own life, you know, your work and that sort of thing, was there an element of like, kind of like putting your head in your in the sand to like not see how bad things really were in the relationship? There was a lot of that. There was mm-hmm. definitely a lot of that. And then again, that layer of guilt and the layer of, you know, 
being the mother, it's like, you know, that's what I've done for 20 some years of my life. So it's like, yeah, I can take care of him. Yeah. He needs somebody to take care of him. And Mm -hmm. um, again, that was the the kind of taking care of that I was not prepared for. I didn't have exposure to mental illness and what the kind of care that he really needed. Yeah. It's hard for people um, because a lot of times we don't necessarily have a good grasp of what mental illness necessarily looks like. Like, what are the symptoms? What are the signs? You know, when should we reach out for help? Would you agree? Exactly. And in my situation, it's like, well, is it the drugs or is it the mental illness? Or is it the drugs exasperating the mental illness? And, you know, he would convince me, you know, again, all the promises, oh, I'll take, take my medications or I'll do this or I'll, I'll stop the drugs. And, yet you know and so I fell for it it's like you know I was a trusting person and yet he wasn't keeping his end of the the promises Mm -hmm. and so for somebody who finds themselves in that situation because I know you know I myself you know I have a lot of trust for what people will tell me and you know it's like I want to believe that people are genuine when they tell me something so what would you say to somebody who's in a situation where their partner is making these promises and you know are either unable to or just willing, you know, wantfully breaking those promises, you know, what would you say to somebody who's in a situation where their partner's doing that? Um, Keep your boundaries. And the thing I think now is setting a plan of what steps would you take, you know, to in this, in the relationship, having, knowing going in is, is, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I love you. I trust you. And Oh yeah, it's, it's your, your bad childhood and this and that. But right now it's like, I, you know, I have, you know, it's, it's sad, the lack of trust, but it's like, I kind of have an exit plan for, for going into a relationship now. It's like, um, yeah, if you don't keep your end of the promises, there's the door. I don't, you know, I've developed a self-love enough that I don't need this relationship to be happy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the other thing is I, I love my aloneness and, that really made it clear when he was being so needy and I didn't have even five minutes to myself. Right. It's like, it was difficult to even like take a shower by myself because he was towards the end. I mean, again, he had left and that was part of why he left, but towards the end of before he left that first time or that kind of the last time was the constant need to be with me. And that um, it was stifling Mm -hmm. and it was more, it was again that spiral down and he brought me down with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, and they say like you're the sum of the five closest people that you're with. And when you're with somebody who's trapped in that di- downward spiral, it does pull you down, doesn't it? it? It does. And it actually cost me that first job because I was taking off to take him to the hospital or do this or do that. And um, yeah, I should have, again set my boundaries it's like yeah you're an adult you can take care of yourself find your own transportation find your own and then part of me was like well if I don't take him he won't take his meds and if I, he doesn't take his meds he gets worse mm-hmm. and it was again that that guilting and I'm not responsible for another person and that was something I had to learn mm-hmm. it's like no matter how much you love somebody you can't be responsible for his decisions and uh, that was hard if he's going to take us path down, I don't need to go down with him. 
Yeah. And I was just noticing, as you were saying that you felt responsible right before you said the word responsible. I was like, oh yeah, she's like feeling responsible to make sure that he like gets his medications. It's like you're stepping into the role of the parent again, to make sure that, you know, your partner is taking his meds and being, you know, somebody that you can coexist with peacefully. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back after this. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little bit about Seize the Moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. Seize the moment, it's your life, will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, Seize the Moment, It's Your Life is for you. You can just go to holisticsexedradio.com, sign up today for Seize the Moment, It's Your Life, it will change your life. Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So, Lana, what would you say to parents whose teenagers haven't started dating yet? Like, as far as things to watch out for, red flags, um, you know, to help prevent kids from falling into this kind of relationship. Because like I mentioned, you know, there's, there's a big incidence of teenage dating violence. And, and I'm sure that these kinds of like controlling, jealous behaviors are 
prevalent in that whole teen dating issue. And so, so what would you say to parents to help them guide their children towards healthy relationships? Um, you know, when I first was going back, it's like, look at the relationship your partner has with their parents and their family. And because that, that can be really key. And it's not always the key because I know people that come out of it. And some people, like I know when my sons were, were dating, you know, the, his friend was a really nice guy. His parents were like known in the, in the community, but you didn't know what went behind closed doors that, you know, oh, his dad was abusing his mom and therefore the son learned those behaviors. Right. Um, so it's hard to see. But I, I would say that, you know, again, a parent telling their teen, their teen is going to say, oh, but I love him and I want to, but just instill the self-confidence in your child that if there's any, you know, any of those gut feelings, any of those butterflies, any of the, the red flags that you might know are red flags, but any feeling of uncomfortable to just back off and just like let them listen to their inner guidance and also to to not feel pressured to have enough self-confidence to not feel pressured by their their potential partner or anyone actually Mm -hmm, yeah comfortable Mm -hmm, yeah i think that's really important to uh to be able to tune in and and notice those gut feelings because those gut responses often have a lot of information and we're not really taught or told to pay attention to those feelings but like how the dog was separating the two of you the dog picks up on that feeling that's the gut feeling that you probably ignored early on right and the dog is like oh no I feel that (laughs) oh yeah I mean the dog when he was his normal person the dog and him were best friends and you know but there's a couple of times where that dog was like right there in between us trying really hard to get in between us Mm -hmm. and it's something I should have picked up on obviously before that last night it's interesting you know how perceptive you know animals can be but also humans actually are perceptive too we've just been taught to ignore those perceptions and so i think you know when say for example a parent is talking to a teenager and maybe teaching a teenager you know about how do you want to be treated in a relationship you know how does this make you feel because relationships of course start with well before romantic relationship starts. And so I think it's really easy for parents to kind of like get kids to start thinking about relationships in the terms of friendship, you know, like how do you feel when you're with this quote unquote friend, you know, this friend is putting you down or maybe they're not treating you right. And so those are, I think, things that parents could use to help them identify flags. And then like what you said, like once they get into the relationship, then there's that feeling of like, oh, I love them. And, you know, that that those feelings you know and and we know teenagers of course their emotions are like on steroids you know as they go through puberty and this kind of stuff and so their emotions can be very intense and so when you're in a when your teenager's in a situation with a partner that you are thinking oh this person is not who i would want my teenager to date you know it's it's can be a really difficult situation to be in because as soon as you say no <laughs> they're like you know teenagers are rebellious <laughs> there is a lot of that and 
Mm-hmm. Again, I I believe that it, it starts early earlier of teaching your, your children to have self-confidence and knowing, you know, knowing right from wrong and knowing that they can stand their ground for their, you know, their own boundaries of, oh, that makes me uncomfortable and why it makes them uncomfortable. You know, somebody drinking and, and getting boisterous or this or that. You know, my sons, I didn't really ever have a curfew and they were allowed to drink, but they were also very responsible about it. And that's because, again, I instilled the, you know, what's right and wrong. And, you know, you know, again, again, about dating, I had boys, not girls. So it kind of makes it easier, I guess. But they respected women, right? They were like, no is no. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, again, certain kids are going to be rebellious and, and, um, you just kind of have to let them go through that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and be there, you know, when they they have reality, you know, come crashing down and be that safe space. You know, if they do have a partner who is being abusive, being that safe person that they can go to and say, Mom, you know, maybe you were right. This guy is not so good and I maybe need some help to make sure I can exit this relationship safely. And, and teenagers may not know that they need support to exit abusive relations relationships safely it's very difficult to exit abusive relationship you know you said that you took him back a few times can you talk a little bit about how it's you know getting out of these kinds of relationships what that's like um i i did take him back and it was always the guilt factor of you know he was in jail or he had been in jail for um a simple assault at the time, or he had been in the hospital for attempted suicide. And so every time that he got out, it's like the promises and the promises and the promises. And um, yeah, it's the continual, if he's not going to keep the promises, then to set that hard boundary. Um, And when he was back in Illinois, I should have said, no, don't come back. And it was only a matter of days um, after he came back, that he ended up back in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, his behavior at that point had spiraled so far out of control. Um, so I, I guess my advice too is, you know, go ahead and do the NAMI education so that maybe you see these red flags earlier or do some of the stuff with Al-Anon if you have somebody that drinks so that you see some of the behavior earlier mm-hmm. and that you know what the the warning signs are because sometimes it takes not your parents to tell you what's wrong, but somebody else outside of, of your, your circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, especially when you're a teenage in your teenage years, you know, you don't necessarily want to take that input from parents. And so having that outside source of information or, you know, as a parent being able to provide alternative forms of education and resources, I think can be really um, powerful to help, teenagers get the message and get support you know for when they do realize that this relationship isn't healthy and they maybe should exit it and I noticed too you're you're talking a lot about boundaries so can you just say you know real quick like what you know boundaries are how do you enforce them what a healthy boundary might look like um so again boundaries were learned kind of you know, you always say, oh, yeah, boundaries. boundaries were learned really after 
that relationship. So when somebody calls you fat or ugly, it's like, that's not nice. You know, the boundary is you don't need to be talked down to and to stand and again, stand up and tell people that I don't accept that kind of behavior. I don't accept you calling me that or, um, uh, just again, all the certain behaviors of what makes you feel uncomfortable and standing up and saying, Hey, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't appreciate you doing this or calling me this or saying that even when they say like the gossip behind somebody else's back is like, you know, that makes me feel uncomfortable. That's not, that's not nice. That's not right. Um, so the boundaries are things that make you feel uncomfortable. Okay. And then to enforce them, you're, you're educating or you're communicating that boundary with the person. You know, you give them warnings and then you give them consequences. Like, you know, if you continue to do that, either I'll leave or you'll have to leave and you enforce it. Um, like in my last relationship, there's several times where I have actually left. It's like, I don't appreciate that behavior and I will get in my car and I will leave. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, in the middle of dinner, he says some snarky comments, like, I don't appreciate it. And if he says something else, I will get up and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the self-love and the self-awareness of, you know, you deserve better. I think that's right. another big thing is um, I deserve better. And as a, as a teenager, especially, you deserve better. And you don't have to put up with that kind of treatment. Yeah, that's really true. And, you know, I think that, you know, being a teenager too, I think a lot of young people don't really have the knowledge or the sense or, you know, the life's experience to know that a lot of these relationships, you know, are learning growing experiences and they're not meant to last a lifetime type thing. And so I think helping to tailor, you know, teenager expectations around, um, relationships could be helpful and then especially when you find somebody who you know maybe your values don't mesh well or there's some abusive controlling whatever kinds of tendencies there then you can recognize those facts and you know remove yourself from that relationship yeah i mean in a relationship there's compromise but when the compromise is dangerous and demeaning and hurtful that's not compromise anymore um, that's, again, that's crossing the boundaries. And so compromise is, you know, you go to this church, I go to that church, different, different beliefs, different values or something. But um, yeah, boundaries are, it's your, your protection. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what happens after you get out of these relationships. <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little bit about Seize the Moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. 
seize the moment, it's your life, will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, seize the moment, it's your life, is for you. You can just go to HolisticSexEdRadio.com, sign up today for Seize the Moment, It's Your Life, It Will Change Your Life. Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. We're back. So, Lana, when you finally extracted yourself out of this relationship, you know, what was next after that? Did you, like, have a period of time of healing, of self-reflection? Like, what did you do? And, like, what has been your growth journey, you know, since then? Because I know now you're a coach. You help people, you know, live their best life, you know, go after their bucket list, do all these things. So what's next after these kinds of abusive relationships? There was definitely a period of feeling. I mean, physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, again, a forced separation because he ended up going to prison after confessing to murder, which um, not everybody's going to confess like that. But you still need to break away and break cleanly. Um, so I spent about a year hiking and communing in nature. I did my 14 14ers uh, mountains in Colorado over 14,000 foot in elevation mm-hmm. and um, as a challenge, right? And I think setting a goal and a challenge helps keep you focused. And that's, you know, my new mantra is fill your bucket before you kick the bucket. Mm-hmm. And so it's setting goals of, you know, what do I want to do next? You know, I rafted down the Grand Canyon. I'm an outdoorsy person. So that's the kind of things I pick, but it doesn't have to be those big grandiose outdoor things. Um, some, you know, most of the time when you think of fill your bucket, it's or you know your bucket list. It's the the ultimate destination. You know, a trip to Paris or or something. But it's also the little steps. Something that makes you feel good. Sometimes it's just going to the park or going to the zoo. Some days it's buying myself some flowers when I walk through the grocery store. Something I was just thinking that. You know, <laughs> something that makes you feel good. Right. And, 
it's again, it's not the destination. It's not that ultimate, oh, I'm going to go see, you know, through the Grand Canyon. It's the experience of planning it and then doing it. Um, because a lot of people, it's anticlimactic. Oh, I went to Paris. I saw the Eiffel Tower. Now what? Right. And now what is, again, finding something else, it's finding a new goal. Because part of those goals are, you know, what keeps us motivated to do stuff. We set goals a lot of times for work and for health, like losing so much weight or doing, you know, the, the uh, New Year's resolutions. But how many people set goals for themselves? Mm-hmm. And there are so many benefits of actually taking time for yourself. And so let me uh, get here and read some of those that, um, you know, when I teach people like, you know, how to fill their bucket list, it's like a longer life, less stress, more memories, better health, more energy, happiness. And if you are working, it's the increased productivity at work to take that extra vacation day because you come back more refreshed. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, and this was, again, my experience of, I mean, I almost died that night. And then seeing my mother in the nursing home with things on her bucket list and hearing other stories of people, if you take the time to fill your bucket list, you'll have less regret overall in life. And it's like, you can't take life back. You can't take those minutes back. Mm -hmm. So make the best of what you do have. Absolutely. You know, when I was a teenager, I was probably 18 or 19. I was out walking in the woods. I was uh, picking fettle heads and doing something with um, the uh, the maple syrup. You know, in, the, in Vermont, we do sugaring in the spring where we collect sap from the trees to boil maple syrup. And so I was out in nature, you know, doing some work for somebody who um, did those kinds of things in the community, you know, make syrup, pick fiddle heads, that sort of thing. And I was out in the woods and I was walking around and there was these uh, flowers. I think it was actually like blue cohosh or something like that. And I stopped to smell the flowers and I don't think it had any smell, but I had that realization in that moment that, you know, you're only here once. And if you don't stop and take those little tiny moments to just pick up the flower and smell it and see if it has a smell, you know, (laughs) it's like those are opportunities that are missed and you never get them back. And so those little tiny moments are precious indeed. And so it's like your mindset. It's like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I'm not old enough or young enough. You know, I'm I'm too young or something. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve it. I think that was a big one Mm -hmm. in high school. You know, everybody was taking the, the spring trip to Mexico and I was like, oh, that cost too much money. I don't deserve it. And I didn't go. And now I look back, it's like, well, why didn't I? I could have gone. I could have easily, you know, found the money. But to say, oh, I'll do it later. You know, my experience is like later may never come. So take the time to find out, you know, find something and do it now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Seize the moment for sure. So we actually have a little free gift for everybody. So I wanted to... Have you tell everybody about that? It's uh, fill your bucket before you kick the bucket. Yeah, it's just a short little book, and it's some of the things that I use when I coach people of you know overcoming those limiting beliefs, like I just mentioned about the not enough time or whatever, and the steps of how to you know you plan it and you engage and how to reach those goals. Mm-hmm. Yes, perfect. You know, and and goals are something that actually really help to pull you forward in life. And I know from experience, you know, I've done a little work with goal setting and that sort of thing myself. And I know from um, just my research around that is most people don't set goals. And 
the few that do set goals, they don't write them down. Very few people write them down. And even fewer people still will review what they've written down to see how they're doing, you know, progress-wise towards their goals. And um, as I was doing that, I created like this little workbook that was all about like figuring out what you want, you know, your goals in life, um, your desire, what's on your bucket list. And so when I, when we sat down to have this conversation, I was like, oh, another person who's a fan of the bucket list. <laughs> I love it. And that is it. Some of these people I work with, because I work with now with a lot of women who are coming out of abusive situations, they don't know what excites them. They, they've been put down so much that we have to go back a, la- a layer and peel back of what, are, what is something that they would even want to do. Yeah. What is important to you? What are your values? You know, like, who are you outside of this dysfunctional relationship? Right. And as a, as a team, it's like you have your whole life in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I personally only set like two or three goals at a time. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to do, but my, mm-hmm. my actual current bucket list is only about three, three deep so that I don't get overwhelmed and like want to do everything at once. Cause um, again, it's, it's taking time for yourself. And sometimes it is just the daily stuff of, you know, sneaking that extra piece of candy or something. But um it's a self-appreciation and you do deserve it. That's the biggest thing I think I want people yes. to take away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, seize the moment. This is your life, you know. <laughs> you only get one, so enjoy it. Well, thanks so much, Lana, for being here with us today. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Robin. You know, and I hope uh, a lot of parents and people and individuals will find this conversation really helpful. And um, if they find themselves in a situation where they're in an abusive relationship that they're able to take steps to remove themselves safely. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.